to me, I don't see art as a job. I just see it as a way of life, how I live my life. From working for Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, or The New Yorker, Mokshimi's career is nothing short of impressive. But what did it take for her to get there? Please join us for this incredibly inspiring story where Mokshini tells us all about her journey to becoming who she is. We talk about avoiding complacency by focusing on growth, how to prepare for your dream job, overcoming art blocks, and using art to brighten up someone's day. Mokshini, okay, thank you so much for being mm -hmm. here today. We're super looking forward to getting to know you better. So let's let's start at the very beginning, travel back in time. And can you remember okay. when did you first fall in love with art? How old, how old were you? What's the story there? Um, when I first, okay. It's funny because my mom has this joke. She's just like, she's always been like, oh, you drew before you wrote. So honestly, I feel like drawing, I was always naturally kind of, um, I don't know, drawn towards expressing myself visually. But, um, and it's funny because I grew up in Sri Lanka. Like I stayed there, I, I was born there, and then I only moved to New Zealand when I was about four. Mm -hmm. But in Sri Lanka, there's this tradition that they do once you turn two. And it's, um, they put all these um, materials in front of you. It could be art supplies, math books, reading supplies. And when you turn two, you, they put all the stuff in front of you and whatever you're drawn to is what they kind of say the child is, um, I don't know, interested in or something that you could push further in their development. And of course I picked all art supplies. Of course you and did. My, yeah, of course I did. And my dad, um, he was an engineer, but he was in his nature an artist. He loved sketching, painting. My mom was very creative, was like really good at um, like crafts. So I think just in general, growing up with a family that was more artistically inclined, I think they just kind of um, pushed me along that, that route. So honestly, I can't remember the moment or the, I think it's just always been there. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. I, they, maybe they took that as the inspiration. I don't know if you're familiar with the animation show, The Avatar. Especially, oh the, yes, I do. Like the last Airbender, you know how Ang and you know all the the Sky Crew people when they're young, they have to. That's how they select the next Avatar. They have to pick the right yeah. toy between a bunch of them. So yeah, there you were being selected as the next. There um, you go. Maybe Art that's Bender. What, yeah, I know. Very, it's a very cultural thing that they do there. And I think um, it was cool that my parents also um, allowed me to like um, pursue that because I think um, especially in countries like Sri Lanka, they're very focused on being a doctor, lawyer or an oh, engineer. Of course. So, it, you know, culturally to be like, yeah, do whatever you want and be an artist is um, kind of like an offbeat path. Wow. So it was nice that I had the space to do that. That's yeah, that's great. So how how did how long did you stay in Sri Lanka for? Um, I think I was about three or four, and then my dad and it was, I'm an only child. It was me, my dad, my mom. We all migrated to New Zealand, mm -hmm. um, and that's where I predominantly spend my rest of my schooling, my 
for my bachelor's, my master's. I did that all there. Okay. Um, and I lived there it. till I was about 24. Yeah. Okay. Walk us through it. So you moved when you were three or four. How was yeah. your artistic journey up until, you know, adult version of you? How, how did that go? I think, I think my mom's kept every single painting I've ever done in my oh. life. She's like kept all my drawings. So I feel like, and then I remember my granddad um, also was obsessed with art. So I would, I would paint with him a lot. Um, so yeah, I think once I moved to New Zealand, I remember going to art classes, um, doing a lot of classes. I had private tutoring. I went to, I don't know. I think, yeah, I was really kind of like blessed with, with being around people that were like, Hey, you're good at this. Like keep going. And obviously you go to class and you know how there's always the art student in class. That's like good at art. I was always that kid. Of course. So I think from a young age, it gave me a lot of confidence and it was a, a sense of knowing that this is something that, um, not, I not only like, but people considered like, Hey, you're kind of good at it and maybe you should pursue it. I don't think I ever took it seriously though. Um, oh. For a long time, I think it was always something I loved doing and enjoyed doing. But then when it became, you know, um, when I was like 17, 18, I was like, well, maybe I should do graphic design, fashion. It was always something creative, but I never thought painter, illustrator, like, um, and I actually studied fashion design for my, uh, for my, my undergraduate, um, bachelor's. And in that process, I met a, a really great mentor. And after my degree, she was like, Nadisha, fashion isn't for you. You need to be painting. And she made me um, teach with her. Uh, so I taught undergraduates fashion drawing. And while I was teaching, I did a master's. So that was her little, <laughs> it, was, it was really nice of her to be like, you can teach with me and we'll pay for your master's. Wow. This is only in New Zealand as well. Like. <laughs> I, and I'm thinking like even the fact that I did just illustration as a, a master's degree and it was uh, something that was so self-directed and I wrote my own thesis and I, it's something that's like quite rare and unique, I feel like to pursue. Mm -hmm. And she kind of just gave me the free reign to explore that because at that point my mom was, so my dad passed when I was nine. I forgot okay. to mention that as well. And I think drawing after that became even more of a um, something that I used as a tool to process, okay. to escape to, and painting became something so much more to me. Mm -hmm. But still, I didn't see it as a, a career path till this mentor kind of was like, this can be your job. Yeah, and I think my, my mom was like, do whatever you want. So she didn't really give me direction. She was more just support. But it was the mentor that was like, you're better at drawing than you are at fashion. And I kind of like needed to hear that. Um, Great combo. And I was all concerned about, you know, how do I make money? And she, she just kept saying, if you're good, you'll make money. Like, just be, just focus on being good. Um, yeah. And yeah, I still keep in touch with her. Like, yeah, I think that's a, a big part of what I'm grateful for is having these people kind of direct me and like yes. yeah because I really didn't think I think for many people it's like hard to look at this as like a viable way of living and it it, it doesn't come with security and it doesn't come with a lot of things that we crave for mm -hmm. but if there's like a sense of knowing in yourself 
and your craft and your ability, I think if you can work on that, that becomes your stability, like in yourself. And I think you then become more creative with the way you pursue jobs and you're like, hey, I really like this brand. Let me write up a brief and create my own jobs. And honestly, a lot of it has worked for me in that approaching it that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of us can relate to your story here. And it's a great combo what you had here with your mom for support and your mentor for direction. That's a really solid mm -hmm. foundation. And did you know at the time, is it something that you were looking for in other people, professionals in art? Were you acquainted yes. with that? Okay, so you knew that was a reality. It's funny, my reality was all online though, because in New mm. Zealand, there's such a, it's it's kind of insular. The the It's also like being freelance and doing art there. Yeah, it's a thing, but it's not as like a, it's not like New York, right? And so I would I would be researching documentaries about Andy Warhol, how he was an illustrator, how he walked around Manhattan and went into like, you know, Vogue and all these like magazines and showed his his work. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I want to do that. Wow. I want to I want to be in a city where I just have access to these things. Um, and I think I could only really see myself reach my full creative potential in a place like New York. Like I just didn't see myself in New Zealand as much as I loved it. It just was limiting. So yeah, I followed a lot of things online and I realized, hey, there's jobs out there for me, but they're just not here. And you know? was that a hard decision to make after you got, so you got the support, you got the direction, you started teaching as you were, you know, paying for your own um, mm -hmm. studies, but you were still in New Zealand. So I was still in New Zealand. What happened? And here? I think, and then after I um, graduated and got my master's in drawing, I was also teaching, right? Like I mentioned, mm -hmm. and my the director of the school that I was teaching at knew the director of a school in America. Oh, and so I actually had a job coming to America as an instructor at the Academy of Art in San uh -huh. Francisco, and so that was my in to America. Um, and after um, you graduate in New Zealand, there's a whole year where you have, um, you can come to America on a work exchange, but the visa is only a year long. So a lot of people try to come and extend their visas by getting sponsored or, you know, married, whatever it is. Um, and I was like, okay, well, teaching is not my like end goal, but this is an end for me to go into America and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. So I did teach in um, San Francisco for six months with one of my favorite artists who was the director at the time, uh, Gladys Parent Palmer. And she did all these amazing um, fashion illustrations for Vogue and like in the 90s, really loose, whimsical, humorous style. And I think that was one of the biggest draws for me. It was like teaching with this person. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot teaching, honestly. And um, yeah, I think after after about six months of teaching, I had six months left on my visa. Mm -hmm. And I started freaking out of it because I was like, oh my goodness, who's going to sponsor me? And the school had offered to sponsor me, but I didn't want to be locked into one job. I also didn't want to be teaching for the rest of, I I'd, I'd actually hadn't had an industry job at that point. I was just teaching. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I was ready to learn more instead of just, you know, um, teaching. That takes guts. That takes a whole lot of guts. And and do you know what's so funny? I was so, so scared about moving or like doing something new. And I went to Gladys and I was like, what do I do? Like I have six months left on my visa. I really want to do New York. And she's like, you know, everyone knows good from bad, but New York knows good from great. And that's all she said. And like, I think after she said that, I was like, that's it. I'm going to New York. And I quit that job. And I kind of like went to New York without a gig. And I just like, I just bounced around. Um, I did freelance for Calvin Klein as a print designer. I worked for a really like terrible, horrible lady that was really mean (laughs) for a while, Um, sketching. I was always sketching. Like I was always drawing or sketching in these jobs. And then my dream job really was working at Ralph Lauren because they had an art department um, that was dedicated to to drawing and sketching. Mm -hmm. And I was aware of this job from New Zealand. I, I was always looking it up and online, seeing if, if they had availabilities. And I'd applied for it about six times and with no luck. And one time at this dinner party, I met this guy and he was like, I work at Ralph Lauren. I sketched there. And I was like, oh my God, that's like my dream job. I want to be sketching there. And he was like so sweet and asked me to show uh, my work. And I showed my work and he was like, you know, your work is great, but it's not very Ralph Lauren. Like, because they have a style, they want to make sure that whoever they hire can execute it in their vision. And I realized it's not so much about being a good artist, it's about recreating what they want. Mm -hmm. And so then I spent about like three, four months practicing their style because he showed me what they were after. And one of the biggest differences was they used markers. Um, They didn't use watercolors or paint because there's four artists and all the colors have to match. So they would, you know, say, this is the code number and this is the code. And, and so a lot of it was teaching myself how to use these materials because I I never used markers before. And when you look at their marker sketches, they're crazy because they look so loose loose and watercolory. And I'm like, how do they make anyway? So I practiced my ass off for a while and reapplied for the job. And I ended up getting two positions there, like one department. Yeah, one department wanted to sketch with me and another department wanted to do painting and rendering. They had two different departments. And I ended up going with the art department. And it was like one of the most, um, like, honestly, um, I think in terms of my career and in terms of my growth and my um, confidence, it was one of a highlight for me uh, in my life. And also my boss, he kind of became like my dad as well. Like he was just a great guy. He was one of the only, he was the first black man to work at Ralph Lauren. He'd been there for like over 25 years. He was so good at what he did. He'd he'd known um, like famous illustrators like Antonio Lopez and like, and just like a little kid from New Zealand coming and like working at this job that she's like longed for for such a long time it was really something I was grateful for um they had a closet full of mark I mean it was just so fun because you just 
it was like uh, uh, um like you're walking into blick every morning you know and oh my god christmas every morning every morning and he was so sweet he was like oh yeah you can take that home if you want we're not using it so anyway we in general it was a, a lovely like environment i think after about two years, I realized how limiting it was for me, though. Wow. Because I found myself going home, painting for myself, and finding that I'm losing a bit of my voice because okay. they had such a distinct style. And I think after my three years, because that's how long they sponsor you, I realized if I did another three years, I would really become complacent with my own voice. Like, I think I had such a strong... Um, like um want or like need to who am i as an artist and i couldn't do that there because i was just exhausted after i got home and painted for like nine hours out of the day for someone else there was like nothing left for me mm -hmm. um and that's that was when i went freelance okay yeah. so the theme of this conversation is your bravery <laughs> your guts because <laughs> i'm i'm in awe it's just I'm pro wow. Give me a second to process this. So, oh my god, you're so cute. <laughs> no, I I'm serious. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to the U.S. because that's where the jobs are. And you went to the U.S. and you got a job. It wasn't exactly what you wanted, but it was it was good. You liked it. People were nice. You're like, yeah, this is not enough. And no sponsor, no guarantee. You have six months left, tight line, and you just woof to New York. And wait. So another question I have here. So you're saying, yeah, I got a job of, you know, raw floor and like you just pulled that out of your pocket and now I'm, I have like this no, crazy ass job. You would, I know, I know. It's a lot of hard work. So let's, let's yeah. dial into that a little bit. You went into a dinner party and you met the guy and you made the connection. You are such a bubbly person. You have so much great energy all around you. I am sure that the people skills were a huge part in getting you all these connections you wanted mm. alongside your hard work. Do you know what? What? I, I think... That's a really great point. Yes, sure. Like you have, obviously you got to be a little bit outgoing and willing to put yourself out there. But I think it took me a while to learn that because New Zealand as a culture is a very, there's this whole term there is called tall poppy syndrome. It's like anyone that's trying to achieve more people try to, I think that's what happens in small places. You know, mm -hmm. you, you think big and people think you're crazy for mm -hmm. thinking that big. And there is this modesty and this, like, uh, you don't want to come across too, like, yeah, I, I do this and I'm good at this. You don't express it so blat blatantly there. And what I learned here is I was at this, like, uh, one of the first parties I went to in New York, this guy goes, what do you do? And I said, I'm an illustrator, an artist, whatever. And he, he said, are you good? And I thought it was such an odd question and oh. I didn't know how to respond I was like, I'm okay. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm okay, I think. And he's like, what kind of answer is that? You know, you should be like, yeah, I'm, I'm great. pretty good. Well, I'm, I'm really good. I'm great. I think it was the first moment I realized also how much I need to sell myself and believe in myself. So and I don't know if I truly did at that point. And so I would just start practicing, like, I'm an artist, this is my work, and to show my work and to be comfortable with my work. And even to this day, I struggle with that a bit, just people looking at my work in front of me. But it's just a practice, right? Like, being comfortable mm -hmm. and being vulnerable and showcasing yourself. 
And it's not for everyone. And some people might like it. Some people may not. But not letting those uh, reactions affect your worth or how you feel about yourself. I think it was a big part of like being in New York, like mm -hmm. to be able to get yourself to that place and to believe in yourself and to, it sounds cheesy, but there's so many people here. It's like, you need to be your own advocate. Like who else is going to do that for you? Exactly. Right. So you go, yeah, I'm a good artist and I think I'll be great for this role. And this is my work. And there's a difference between being confident and being braggy. You know, there's a huge difference. Being confident is believing in yourself okay. and in your own skills, Gra mm -hmm. bragging about what you do, you know, or looking down on other people. That's a completely different conversation. And one is not associated with the other in any way. It's right. not, not, not at all. And I feel like us as human, there are cultures that are worse than others. I agree. I'm from a small town. It's the same, you know, saying out loud that you're an artist. They kind of look at you like, oh. Right loony <laughs> so you're you don't have a job got it <laughs> yeah exactly uh yeah. <laughs> so so I, I completely get it and i think it's really important what you just said believing in yourself and in believing mm -hmm. that you're good and practicing it that's great that's the first time i heard of because it because the truth is you might not even believe it till you say it a hundred times it's like at a certain point you might not truly believe that you're that good or that you feel like you've you know But even just manifesting it through just saying it mm -hmm. and just like almost gaslighting yourself saying, oh my God, yeah, I'm <laughs> awesome. I'm awesome. Until you believe it. I don't know. And I think the more yeses you get, the more confidence you build. And like, th that means you got to have, be more open to the nose. I think it's just all like trusting the process, process. which is so scary. Yeah, exactly. It's a and, scary thing. and it's just so easy for us to talk down at ourselves. But when we say Very it out easy. loud, we would not say it out loud to a friend or to someone we liked. Right. Yet we say it to ourselves, right? We're constantly putting ourselves down. So why not trying the opposite? I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Agree. Agree. Okay. So, okay. Let's go back into your timeline. You're, you're at Roth Lauren and you realize you're stagnant. I realized I was becoming so complacent as an artist. Like what made you realize that? I think, I think when I started losing my spark, when mm. I started being, when I started coming to work heavy, feeling like not excited, when I started, I think I just, you know, there was a day I went home and I like cried and I realized, wait, I'm meant to love what I'm doing. Why am I not enjoying this? And I think that was the day I was like, okay, I need an exit plan. So hard. Um, and I, I think in any job, there's a peer, I think, I think for me, I'm the happiest when I feel like I'm growing. I'm like very like growth orientated. And I think after I stopped growing at Ralph Lauren, that's when I realized I was stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and even to this day, if I'm freelancing, even though it feels free and I'm doing like some years, I, I'm really busy, but then I realize I haven't tried anything new. And then all of a sudden, uh, I think that's just a fear of mine is not trying new things or um, being stuck because comfort is, I like comfort. I like, <laughs> I like every who doesn't. Right. Um, but I think I'm starting to get a good gauge on when I'm, when I'm feeling bored or when I'm, when I know when I need to try something new. And I think I felt that like I listened to my gut. 
because it's nice being in a, a company that gives you your health insurance, that there's stability, you do what you like, but there's just something missing. You know, it just felt like something was missing. And that's important for you because you need that spark at all times yeah. to keep yeah. going. I think that's what I realized is like, I thought there's this dream job mm. and this idea and that, that I, this fantasy that I wanted. And then I, once I got it, I realized, oh, this is not exactly what I wanted. I think I learned a lot about myself in that. And actually, I'm more of a solo person. I don't like being at a desk job. I think that's what mm -hmm. I learned about myself. And that's great. Yeah. And, and, and dear listeners, um, not only there are different kinds and types of people in the world, I also believe that there are different seasons in one's life. Um, so I just want to also put this out there to reassure anyone who's listening. And if, if you've been at a job for five, 10 years and you feel happy doing that, that's completely fine. All right. There's nothing wrong. The thing is making sure that you like what you're doing. And that's the, the theme that we're trying to explore here. Uh, sometimes all one wants out of life is to have a stable job with the health insurance, like you said, work nine to five or less and just have time to be with their children or have mm -hmm. time to go and travel. And that's all good too, as long as you're happy. So that's just a little shout out here for validation purposes. And also it's fine if you want to be something during a period of your time, then something else happens. You become a parent. Um, and uh -huh. maybe right now, professional growth is not in your immediate plans. Maybe it's something exactly. else. And that changes after a year and or that's two. Also or fine. Yeah. I think in all these stages, we've got to be so like real with ourselves. I think it's so easy to even trick ourselves and, and say, oh, it's not that bad or, oh, yeah, but I, there's so many other things that I should be grateful for. It has all these perks, so I shouldn't be complaining. There's all these excuses that we make, you know, and like to stop and really acknowledge like, yeah, something's missing. Or, like, I think it's the hardest part to be real with yourself because something might come up that you're like, oh my God, I hate my job. I hate. And that reality somehow is very unsettling, exactly. you know, and it means you have to do something about it. And then that's scary. And, um, yeah. And you did something about it. So what happened afterwards? So you said you were, you said it was time to get an exit plan. So what did that yes. look like for you? So, I mean, Obviously, America, visas, right? So I had to think about my visa. <laughs> oh, my God. And um, I was really lucky because there's this visa called an O-1 visa. It's mm -hmm. an artist visa. Hmm. If you can be any type of artist, you could be a dancer, you could be anything. Um, and so I applied for that and I got it. And I think, but I, th I think I knew what it entailed. A lot of it was... Uh, um, Uh, press related like they needed names of articles that you were in and magazines so knowing that I like worked towards that while I was at Ralph Lauren like mm -hmm. I did after I always told myself my workday begins at six because I like go to do my job but six is when I was doing my own paintings when I was wow. reaching out to other companies I would go to like the magazine stores because back then they didn't really have Insta Instagram but like I would go to these magazine stores and look up the art directors of the, the, the magazine and I would email them. Wow. So I, I saw my real job as being my, my evenings. Um, and I started getting published a little bit and that's what I used in my visa. So I kind of was like 
trying to align everything. And it, yeah, I mean, honestly, I lucked out with that. But I also worked really hard on that you did. and managed to get like um, eight references and people on my team to like vouch for me. And it was a whole thing. And this year was the first year I actually got my green card, like uh, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So I've been working on this visa thing for a while. Um, you know, you said you lucked out, but someone once told me luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. And it looks to yeah. me that it feels to me that you were working really hard on getting yourself in yeah. a position to land the job uh-huh. you liked. So it's not yeah, just exactly. luck. It's a lot of hard work. That's true. I know. I got a, yeah, it wasn't just luck. <laughs> so we're still practicing this. Uh, I'm great. And I do this kind of, so as you can see, <laughs> we're still practicing that I'm great. And like, no, it wasn't luck. Uh-huh. Mokshini, it wasn't just luck. That's just not a thing. All right. I mean, mm. it be, but not in this case. All right. And where did you end up landing at? Um, so then after Ralph, I was, I think I really wanted to feel supported in my in my journey and I seeked out representation mm-hmm. um and you know there's all these artist illustration agencies so I started emailing them mm-hmm. and to be honest my body of work was very like one noted because I'd done Ralph Lauren for three years and whatever and I kind of struggled getting into an agency so then I realized I had to spend a bit more time making my portfolio more diverse Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have a strong like style back then. I think I just still liked drawing different things. So I did landscapes and portraits and all sorts of things. And I think I was trying to showcase my versatility more. So after Ralph, I was just focused on creating all these different styles. And one agency did see my potential and they were kind of like, okay, we're happy to take you on. But I think what I realized in being so um, vast with my styles is that I wasn't really doing, I was attracting jobs that I wasn't really liking. So I was represented now and they were selling me as this artist that could do hyper real and could do abstract and could do this, but I wasn't really doing jobs that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, I felt like, Oh, here's a here's a job. Uh, could you recreate, um, I don't know, this fruit bowl in a realistic way for this article? Oh, and they were always not coming for me for my style. They were coming for me as like a, a service, like. And I think um, after a while, I wanted to just have such a strong voice that people came to me for my voice. Yes. And I think that was what took me a while in the freelance. I think it took me like two or three years till I started getting the jobs I wanted and till I started attracting people that were like, oh, I really love how you do whimsy and humor and cartoony. Could you do something like that for my, for this article or this invite? And I started like generating more work that I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. And then I think in that transition, I was still doing work I didn't like Mm -hmm. or like that wasn't me, but I wasn't sharing it. Like I wasn't showcasing it on social media. So I was still getting the money gigs and I was still doing stuff that I was like, okay, this is good bread and butter, but it's not really me. And then I just kept posting the stuff I wanted to get. So creating my own little 
Your you know, image. I'll create Im images for myself and personal work. But then if there was a job I did like and I was proud of, I would share that. But I was very strategic about what I shared and what I wanted more of. And that was what I was putting out. That's great um, advice. But yeah, I, it wasn't necessarily like that was making me the money in the beginning. In the beginning, it was all the other boring storyboarding and I was doing all this stuff to just mm -hmm. make money. The iceberg that no um, one sees. That's exactly. it. And, and then I was like, oh, should I post the stuff that like storyboarding and portraits? And I was like, no, but those are not the jobs I enjoy. And why would I share something that I don't want to do more of? Exactly. You know? So um, I think I just became better at like figuring out my brand in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It took you a but while. But it took a minute. It took me a while. It took me a while. It's an investment in your career. And another big moment in my career that happened was when I quit that agency and wanted to go to this other agency that was my dream agency. And she like was, ha was kind enough to say come in and I'll interview you whatever mm -hmm. and she gave me some of the most critical feedback since like my master's and I couldn't paint for like three months after it because oh. the advice she gave was so kind of like you know for example she said something like um actually what was really interesting was I walked in and she had printed all my work there was like a oh. hundred pages on the desk and she started separating yes and no and she picked like like 40 images that were yeses and the rest were noes. And she told me why they were yeses and why they were noes, you know. Brutal. And, and yeah, like it was very like so direct. And she was like, you know, I feel like your work is too Ralph Lauren. I'm feeling like, where's you? And she said all these things like that made me think, what am I trying to say as an artist? And I think that was the first time I started... Um, I stopped creating actually. And I just, just reflected on what I'm trying to communicate as an artist. And I, I realized a lot of my work is about relatability and humor. And um, I don't know, like I, I want to spark something light. And I feel like there's so much happening in the world and everyone's so serious all the time. I want to be that place where you can kind of escape to and, be like, oh, that happened to me last weekend. That's hilarious. Oh, I totally, <laughs> I don't know, a comforting place, I think. Yes. And so my work is very light. And um, it's funny because she said, you know, I have illustrators in my agency. This is the same woman that have similar styles. So she, one of the artists she represents is Bill Donovan. And he's like a, an, uh, someone that I admire. He does like Dior. And, and she described his work as, you know, the uptown girl. And um, some the uptown girl that's very, you know, posh. And there was another artist that she represented, similar style. But she was like, you know, she's like the downtown girl. She does H&M. She does the more commercial, younger. And she just asked me, who's your girl? Like, and I think that was like the moment where I was like, who is my girl? Who am I drawing? And after that, I started drawing myself because who do I know more than myself? Wow. And I started popping up in my own sketches more. And I think that's when my style really, the storytelling came alive. My work became about my personal experiences with the world, my interactions with people. And that's when I just started sinking into the style that you see now, which is 
very like whimsy and light. But I think also I see like she never ended up representing me, but that interaction with her really shaped pivoted. Um yeah, yeah. And I think just putting myself in those positions of like those scary moments of meeting people and hearing the feedback. And I freaked out that I didn't I couldn't sketch for three months after that. I was that like, was Oh my, my God. Like, yeah. The feedback was so I I was honestly so scared because I was like, I've never not wanted to paint. And for the first time, I'm just petrified to paint because what will come out and what am I trying to say? Like I became, I started overthinking instead of just exploring. And I think getting to that place, I needed the three month break, honestly, I think. How, back. how did you get over yourself? Because I've, I've been there as well and I don't believe I myself got out of it. So you stopped mm. creating art realizing that you were overthinking it and needed to explore how did that realization right. realization come to you I, I think I was frustrated because I would like look at a piece of paper and nothing I was like oh my god I, I I became overwhelmed instantly I think I one of my great what I, one thing I really enjoyed was talking to other artists mm -hmm. and so how they overcome their own blocks everyone has some personal block I think a block is like a great opportunity to stop and be like What is coming up for me? Maybe it's a bit of fear. Maybe it's a bit of, um, maybe there's a lack of direction. Maybe there's so many ideas in your head that you can't seem to pick one. Maybe it's giving yourself the space to explore all those ideas. I realized I, I was a perfectionist and I had this idea of, I wanted to create beautiful masterpieces. But I realized you can't get there without the experiments and the fail the fails, you know, and she, And hearing someone pick no for 60% of your stuff, you start like questioning everything. Um, and I realized, you know what? I think I need to create less pressure. So I would do like small exercises in the mornings that were mm. like 10 minutes to just break the ice. They didn't have to be masterpieces. They could just be little doodles that I didn't have to share with anyone. I think it was um, just like coming back to like why we do this. Is like it's not for other people. It's not to make. It's not for approval. It's for yourself. Get the um, pressure off. Yeah, I think, and to this day, I still, it's still a struggle of mine. You know, I could look at a big canvas, and be like overwhelmed by its bigness, and like nothing comes out because. Yeah, and that's when you stop, and you're like, why is it, why am I stuck? And a lot of it for me was either fear or, or um not having focus on like the outcome. Sometimes it's just like the minute I start doodling like cute little thumbnails, all of a sudden the idea forms more clearly and then, and that's the hump. I've gone over it. Sometimes it's just, we need some assists. And I think it's like, you, we have to learn about ourselves as well. Like how we best learn. And sometimes when I'm stuck, it's like not about forcing myself to paint more. It's about removing myself and like going to a gallery or going to talk to another artist about their struggles it's like not about doing and like it's actually about stopping have you always been sense. a people's person or did that also come to you as you grew I think maybe just like the circumstance because when I moved to America I didn't know anyone mm -hmm. so I think it was like uh also growing up an only child I'm like so used to um I think it was a very conscious thing. I was like, I was like, there's tools here and I need to use them. I think I've always been very 
aware of that. Like when I, like even on Instagram, mm -hmm. I mean, I hate Instagram, but I see it as a tool to connect, you know? Oh, and I a lot of the, Yeah, like I hate it. But like the, some of my favorite things on the moments on Instagram is following an artist I like and being like, oh, you're in Brooklyn too. Let's have coffee, Great. you know, and just talking. And I think um, I've always kind of craved that and enjoyed that, like connecting with people in that way. But it's conscious for me because I like being alone and I like like working on my own. I don't, I don't, I'm not an extrovert so much like that. Mm -hmm. So it's effort. But I think in the right environment, usually one-on-one, -on -one, quick little coffee day. It's easier for me and I actually enjoy it. Okay, because I want to understand how we're going to connect this to your art. But before we get there, so your style blossomed after a three-month art block. And then what happened? I wouldn't say it was like so linear. Like it was really a process, but like, yeah. And then after that, I got represented by another agency and they were a much bigger global agency. Mm. And I was working a lot. I think it helped me. I think my goal was I'm going to go with an agency that's going to get me big names on my portfolio. And once I feel confident with my body of work, I'm going to go off on my own completely. And so that's what I worked towards. So last year was the first year I've like completely have no agency, no nothing, just on my own, getting my own work, that kind of stuff. Wow. Congratulations. Um, but that, but that agency really helped me um, build my work, uh, build my clout. Exactly. Because I think I needed some um bigger brands to kind of back me up yeah and one of my dreams was always to be in the new yorker <laughs> and my first agency was like your work isn't new yorkery like it's too fashion they don't like fashion and i think also just hearing that i was like no my work can be new yorkery and in yes. this new agency i told them i was like this is one of my dream clients you guys have to make this happen And I did get the New Yorker with the second agency. And I think just being really specific about where I wanted my work and working towards it has also helped. Yeah. Like really being specific about the brands and like, I also en enjoy collaborating and like doing print design or um, packaging and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I like, do that for myself, like create a little package and do a mock-up so I can pitch it to a company. And it's natural for our styles to change. And like, even now I'm coming, coming to a place where I'm like, I want to do more with my style. I, I want to explore new things. I don't want to do the same thing forever. Me and my partner started a ceramics line last year. Wow. And we've been doing ceramics. So he makes all the parts and I've been painting on them. Nice. And that's been so fun because, um, I've never like really worked three-dimensionally on functional objects. So fun. Um, so that's another thing I'm exploring. Why do you love art so much? Oh, <laughs> oh man. I think from a young age, it was not only something I loved, but it was a, a, a way of dealing and coping. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is part passion, part just how I process the world and my emotions. 
Um, so it kind of, to me, I don't see art as a job. I just see it as a way of life. It's just a way of how I live my life. Like mm -hmm. I like waking up and I like observing the things around me and I like sketching things and I like traveling and documenting things, what I'm eating and the bird I saw. I, it's just how I engage with the world, right? It's just my tool to navigate the world. That's it. You like it to be light, how you put a positive spin on everything you see, because the world is so full of negativity anyways. We don't need more of it. So, yeah, why, why does that it's, matter to you? It's, it's so interesting because when I first moved to New York, everything, like, turned me on. Like, <sighs> it'd be like a rat on the street or like a, a garbage bag on the, the, you know, everything. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And like, and... I think it was a true reflection of like my state of mind. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I'm in a, a sad or a dark place or like a place if I'm going through a struggle, I don't see the world in the same way. I struggle to see it in that light way. So for me to see the world in, in that way is a conscious act every day to see wow. the beauty in the small things. And I think in my art, it's almost a practice for me to, To keep it light is to choose to see things in a light way, to choose, even if I'm going through a tough time, the picture that I paint will be light because that's how I want to, to process it. I don't know. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is hard. There's this painting that I did. I was like, always look up because I feel like we always just kind of, um, and it was like basically me on a balcony looking up at the birds. But I remember that day being a hard day for me. I was like, you know, looking down and I looked up and I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful day. I keep forgetting like to take yourself out of these funks that we get in. I don't know. I think it's just a way of dealing for me as well. It's not just about happy art. It's about choosing happiness and like spreading that as well. It doesn't mean that I have shit days or like, you know. And, and I can completely relate when I had my first child. <laughs> so you created a... I won't say it's a challenge, but you have this Operation Cheer Up going on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I love this. I love this project. Actually, my partner gave me the idea and we were talking about it during COVID. Mm -hmm. And we were really missing engaging with people. And, you know, we started doing these little experiments. And one of it was uh, sketching cute little originals. Um, and then I put them in frames and I hang them around the city and give clues on my Instagram. And, you know, if it's not people that follow me, it's passerby that notice it. And like, it's almost like a social experiment because it's so interesting who picks it up and who doesn't, who thinks it's art and who thinks it's for the taking. Um, on the back of each piece, it says, you know, it's yours to keep. Hope this makes your day. Um And it's kind of become like a thing I've done now in every trip I've gone on. So we've done it in Miami and Mexico. And, Beautiful. And it's a great way for me to not just reflect on my trip and figure out the key moments, but also a great practice in terms of like creating something and letting it go because I get so attached to a lot of my work and I actually don't sell originals. I only usually sell prints. And I started thinking about why I'm like a hoarder with my art because I should just <laughs> let go. And so it was a, a practice of that, you know. It's mostly just for me to just like make and say bye. Do you make them while you're on the trip? So as the, the trip is progressing, you pick the key moments and you just portray them? I think 
I think I do them in the end just so because it gives me a space to just reflect and then I'm like I love I love all the the street cuts and the street food and then I'll like uh, draw something from my head and create a little vignette of like a moment that I experienced or something but yeah during my travels I usually keep a sketchbook and then Mm -hmm. I'll just reflect and create more final pieces for the Operation Cheer Up. It's been so fun to do. (laughs) I love that idea. I love it. Now that I understand it fully, I even love it more. Uh, Before we wrap up, I know we've been talking about art uh, agnostically, not in any specific medium. We just had like a side conversation about markers because of Ralph Lauren. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite medium? Mm, I think I really like, even though I work with acrylic the most, I think watercolor has like being my biggest teacher in terms of um, learning to let go, embracing the moment, working faster, being more direct, being more confident. I think watercolor is my favorite in terms of learning, learning. Yeah. And I don't know wh- if that makes sense. It does yeah. make sense because it's so wild and It's so wild loose. and it's like you just have to let go. Yeah. Yeah, it forces I think that's, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other material, you know, when I'm doing work for commissions, it's usually acrylic, but it's like controlled, right? Like I, mm. it dries, I can repaint, I can edit, I can Photoshop at the end. But I think with watercolor, yeah, it's a little bit more crazy. When I do live drawing events at events where I sketch people and stuff, I always use watercolor oh. because it just helps me be quicker and looser. And, yeah. and why do you usually go for acrylic when you're working? I think I like texture and light and layering. I like like having the image unfold. Yeah, I think it's, if you look at my work, a lot of it is very textural. I think I really enjoy that, like Simple. the layering process. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Any final <laughs> words to our dear audience? Any advice you want to leave before we sign off? Ooh. I think ultimately... If this is something that you want to pursue uh, or anything, I think what I realized is um, I have to do it every day. Like I can't wait for inspiration. I can't wait for this block to be unblocked. I can't um, wait for the right environment to create. I think creating is just about working through stuff. And I think it's important to carve out time in the day to do it every day. I think that's what I'm realizing is it's a practice, right? Mm -hmm. Also giving yourself the space, being kind enough to be like, um, you know what? Maybe I just need a rest as long as you always go back, you know? But yeah, I think in general, I've, 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 yeah, I like to do a little doodle every day now just to keep the flow, keep the flow going. What was your favorite part of the episode? Let us know in the comment section of the post associated with this episode at etcherlab.com forward slash Mokshini. That's M-O-K-S-H-I-N-I. And remember, all the links of everything we said can be found on the blog post associated with this episode, again, at etcherlab.com forward slash Mokshini. I'll see you next time, and until then, make more art.